0: What a great privilege you and I are about to partake of. We get to break open Father's Word. The Word of a Father. Isn't that awesome? A Father to His children. I hope you know that that doesn't just mean that it's the mind of God to the mind of man. Did you hear that? The mind of God to the mind of man. That would be a teacher to a student. But this is the father to a child. Which means it's not just the mind of God to the mind of man, but it's the heart of a father to the heart of his children. That's neat. That's what sets this book apart. Makes it a cut above. It's a letter written to each and every one of us as if we were the only person on the face of this planet. Jim, this is your father's word to you. Isn't that awesome? It's like he grabbed you, David, and put his arm around you and said, come on, son, we're going to go for a walk. i got something to tell you. That's wonderful to know. Because we need his truth. Without knowledge, my people are destroyed. There is a liar out there. And he seeks to give us lies. And if we believe the lies, we're headed for trouble. But he has given us his truth so that we can be free. And freedom is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So as we break open these words, because there is a liar, because we've probably heard lies about this passage, we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. So would you join me in that? Unite our hearts together before our Father. Father, what a glorious thing. We can call you Father just like Jesus did. What a scandalous thing to the religious world. Jesus rocked the boats of religious people because he called you Father. We get to call you Father too because we have a relationship with you, a relationship of love because our sin has been forever dealt with through the work of Jesus Christ. Well, Father, our consciences sometimes convict us. and The enemy is right there to condemn us we look at a passage like this that is so serious it's very easy to lose the simplicity of Christ. We need you desperately, Father, to send your Spirit in a special way to open our hearts and minds to hear the word of a father to his children. So quicken our hearts to receive truth and awaken our minds to the lies because we don't want to believe them. We want to believe and stand in truth. So you be the teacher, we'll be the students, and we'll ask this for your glory in Jesus' name, and every saint say it, amen. We have spent four weeks in really what is an introduction to this passage, laying a groundwork, and now that the foundation has been laid, we're ready to dive into the passage itself. But before we do that I think it would be a good idea just to review briefly very, very briefly where we've been these last four weeks. Week number one we saw from verse one that Jesus is the true vine and notice the language there. He did not say I am like a vine. There's no analogy here. There's no analogy here. Say that with me. There's no analogy here. here. That's right. We're talking reality. Not analogy. Reality. He Is the true vine he is the real source of life if you as a branch want to find life you better be connected to him because apart from him there just ain't going to be no more life glorious truth more startling than that we saw a shocking revelation that the father is the vine dresser when you're a rich landowner you own vineyards you don't work in the fields you hire people to do that But here we learn that the father who owns the vineyard is, in fact, the laborer in the vineyard. Why? Because who's he working on? You and me. And we're too precious in his eyes. We've been bought with a price. He's not going to entrust the work to anyone but himself. We're too fragile, aren't we? We're very fragile. And so, especially with this work, it's the work of pruning. It's the work of cutting off not only dead branches, but good branches. And somebody who doesn't know how to wield a knife could damage us beyond repair. So the Father himself is going to do this labor. Well, we saw what the goal of this pruning was, and that was to produce fruit. We saw a progression of fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And the fruit we saw was the life of Jesus Christ. Glorious. So, Camille, what God is going to do is He's going to bring a knife to you to cut off not only bad things, but good things. Why? To hurt you? No. He wants to release the life of Christ in you. He wants to liberate Jesus in your life. Isn't that awesome, Johnny? What a great word. He wants to liberate Jesus. The day you embrace Jesus Christ, Amy, Jesus Christ came to live inside of you. But there's a lot of flesh there that dams up the rivers of living water. I don't think I'm just mean that for just you, right? The rest of us that applies to too, right? There's a lot of flesh that dams up the flow of life. And so he's going to prune us to release the life of Christ. To liberate Jesus. Glorious truth. And that's going to happen by abiding in Christ. And we saw last time that that means to maintain an intimate love connection with him. Now before we read verses 2 through 9... What I want to do here is put forth to you that this is, in essence, a parable. And whenever you have a parable, you have one central truth. We said that when we began this study. You don't go off into all these rabbit tales, trails. You stick with the main central truth. And what is the main central truth? It's found in a twofold aspect. One, the purpose of this parable is to illustrate that you and I as Christians are to be fruity people. Right? look around the room I'd say we're doing a pretty good job of that we are to be fruity people and it also tells us how to do it the process and that is abide so the purpose is to produce the fruit of Christ in our lives and the process is by abiding in Christ you and I must keep that as the central issue in this passage as we walk through it don't diverge from that you want to understand that what's the purpose fruit what's the process abide don't veer from that If you won't veer from that, you've got no trouble with this passage. You veer from it, you're in dangerous waters. Make sense? Alright, let's read it together. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. This is so important. We're talking just hours until Jesus is arrested. Not much time left to talk. So this is serious. I am the true vine. The real source of life. My Father is the vine dresser. Now every branch in me that bears not fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. But if a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch is withered men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned sobering words if you abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you and this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples as the father hath loved me so I have loved you continue in my love If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be made full. Now, notice right off the bat here that there are two groups of people here. There's a contrast. There is a group that bears fruit, there is a group that does not bear fruit. The group that bears fruit, Jesus says of them that they are cleansed. The group that does not bear fruit, Jesus says they are going to be cast off, gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. You all with me? So we got branches that bear fruit, branches that don't bear fruit. Branches that are cleansed, branches that are burned up. The problem comes in from verse 5 where he says you are the branches I am the vine you are the branches who was he talking to? there's only 11 apostles there nobody else is there so who is he talking to? Christians the problem comes in though Christians are going to be taken away. Christians are going to be burned. How are we to explain this passage, my friends? We have some trouble. Well, what I want to do is I want to present to you today two opposing views. And we'll walk through the pros and cons of each of them. And see what Jesus is here talking about. The first group, the first view we'd put forth is that these are Christians who lose their salvation. These are branches that were connected to the vine, but now they are going to be removed from the vine and burned, cast aside, judged, punished. Is there any support for this view in the context itself? Well, certainly there is. If you look at verse 2, every branch in me that bears not fruit he takes away. And it appears that the taking away, if you look at verse 6, is, is so that they can then wither and be thrown into the fire. And so in support, they are connected, but now they're disconnected. Do you all see that? They are connected branches that are then now disconnected. And that would appear to say that these are people that have had salvation, but now lose it. Any other support? Well, our number one view of interpreting the Bible is always what? Always what? Context. And in the context, fresh in their minds is a person named Judas. And if you look at verse 3, you are clean. That's the exact same words that Jesus used in John chapter 13 earlier in the night when Judas was there and he said, you are clean already, but not all of you. And we saw that was a reference to Judas. And so right in the context... We have a person who was in the fold of the twelve apostles who got removed. And so people have said, well, obviously what's happening here is these are branches that were saved, but they lost their salvation. Certainly, if we left it just to that, it would argue for it, wouldn't it? But we've got some cons to look at, too. We stressed as we began this what the purpose of this passage is all about. And my friends, what is the purpose of this passage? It's about fruit. It's about the reproducing of life, not of a seed-taking root. This is a passage not on being a Christian, but on being a productive Christian. That's what we're talking about. Remember that? The main central thrust of this passage is bearing fruit. And you do that by abiding. We're not talking about salvation here. Secondly... If this was true, that Christians could lose their salvation if they're not fruitful, then God has us on a major performance-based acceptance, (laughs) doesn't He? If you don't perform very well, Bruce, I'm casting you out. How does that square with the message, come to me all you that are weary and heavy laden and can't pull it off and I'll give you rest? Does that sound like the heart of God, the heart of a father? Is that the way you treat your children, Roy? You don't measure up today, Caleb out the house you go we don't treat our own kids like that father wouldn't treat his kids like that that's not the issue we're not on a performance based acceptance are we we're on a Jesus based acceptance and if you're in Christ you're a 10 isn't that what you always wanted to be was a 10 Donnie and because of Jesus that's what you are everybody say that with me I'm a 10 that's right now do you live like a 10 no then Jesus is going to cast you out Ooh, that's like a dagger to the soul thirdly what do we do with Philippians 1.6 we sang a bit this morning he who began the good work in you is going to be faithful to perfect it so at stake here is if Christians can lose their salvation at stake here is the reputation of God to be true to his word and complete the work that he began in you if we can lose our salvation then God is not trustworthy God's not faithful he just lied. Do you see that? How about some other scriptures? Let's look at a few of them. How about John 10:28? Keep your finger here and turn back a couple chapters. My sheep, hear my voice, verse 27, John 10, I know them, they follow me. and what does Jesus do? I give unto them, what does He say? What does He give them? Eternal life. Say that with me, please. What does He give them? Eternal life. Do you see, my friends, this is so basic, so simple. If you could lose it, then it wasn't eternal. Isn't that true? Because eternal means it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. It means it had no beginning and no end. But if you can lose it, then it really wasn't eternal. What it was was conditional. I gave unto them conditional life. I gave unto them potentially eternal life. But that's not what Jesus says. He said, I gave unto them eternal life. And if it's eternal, it's there to stay. Just to make sure that we own that, look what he says in the next phrase. They shall never perish. What did he say? Never. Never, never, never perish. My Father, verse 29, who gave them to me is greater than all and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. Hand done deal. John six thirty seven. He who comes to me, I shall in no wise cast out. You come to Christ, Craig bro. He's promised that he will never, never, never cast you off. Isn't that glorious? How about Romans eight verses thirty one through thirty nine? Let's turn there and just read that. Let the word of God speak by itself. We don't even need to comment on this. Romans eight. Verse 31. What shall we say? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his son, his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What can we say then? What shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Shall God that justifies? If God has justified you, is he going to say anything against you to make you damned? Of course not. Who is he that condemns? Shall Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for you? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Nay, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded, I like that. This is my truth. No one can take it from me. This is gospel. This is dogma. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, not height, not depth, nor any other creation. There is nothing in heaven. There's nothing in earth. There's nothing right now. Nothing in the future. Nothing in the past. No created thing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, what about God? He wasn't created. Well, He already said He wasn't going to. What about angels? Uh Uh-uh, he said they won't. What about demons? What are demons? They're angels. (coughs) Fallen angels. They can't do it either. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The only way you can come away from the Word of God and say that you can lose your salvation is for you to put blinders on when you come to passages like that. I had a person up in the Northeast when we were ministering up there. And I was at a hardware store one day and they were listening to my voice and as I was ordering something and they said, it's you. I said, it's me? They said, yeah, you're that guy on the radio. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, we have a radio ministry. I've been listening to you. He says, but I, I think you're wrong in this one area. You seem to teach that believers are secure eternally. I said, I don't just seem to teach that, brother. You've heard correctly. He said, well, I just don't agree with that. And so I took him to this next passage. Because this is a doozy. It's First Peter chapter 1. He says, all right, nobody can snatch me out of the Father's hands, but I can jump out of the Father's hands. Oh, that's clever. I said, my friend, have you ever read First Peter 1, 3 through 5? said, so well, I'm sure I have, but it doesn't stick. And I said, well, let me help it stick. Blessed be God, who according to his abundant mercy, 1 Peter 1, 3, has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, and is reserved in heaven for you who have put your faith in Christ. You, verse 5, who are what? Say it. Kept by the power of God. And then I said this to my friend. Are you really willing to say that your ability to rebel is greater than the ability of God to keep you? That is the ultimate pride of man to say that you are bigger and stronger than God. God has said that your salvation is kept by His own power. Do you really want to have the kind of pride that says I can rebel and my power is greater than God's power to keep me? And he said, I never saw that verse before. I said, well, I think you ought to go home and meditate on it and ask your father about it. My friends, the vines that are here are connected. These branches are connected to the vine. They're not going to fall away. They're not going to be removed by other than God. So what do we say to this first view? Can a believer lose his salvation? No. So obviously that wasn't the correct view. So obviously there must be another view. Right? Well, what's the second view? Well, these must be then false believers who get removed and burned. Since no Christian can then lose their salvation, obviously these weren't real believers in the first place. They only appeared to be believers. Well, is there support for this view in this passage itself in John chapter 15? Yeah, I think there's support for that. Let's look at it. First of all, the word order. The word order in verse 6. If it was going to be somebody losing their salvation, we would expect Jesus to have said that they're going to wither. And when they wither, they will then be removed and burned. See, they were Christians that lost it. So they were once luxurious and green and fruit-bearing, but then they withered, lost it, so now God cuts them off and removes them. Do you see that? That would be a Christian losing their salvation. But that's not the word order that he uses. They're apparently luxurious and green attached to the vine. Apparently. He removes them because they're false. Then they wither and are burned. See his word order? So that argues that they're giving the appearance of being connected. Not that they lost it. Secondly, they don't bear any fruit. There is no reference to these branches being cut off ever bearing any fruit. Fascinating. Because if you are a Christian, what are you going to do? You're going to bear fruit. Might be a little bit. Might be hard to see. But there'll be some fruit somewhere. No reference to these people ever bearing fruit. Which again argues for them never being saved. Thirdly, he says, you are already clean. That instantly would remind the disciples of who? Judas. Judas who walked among them. Judas who was with them. Judas who was trusted. Judas who was thought of as a believer. But what did we find out? He was never really saved. And so we say, well, maybe this is true. How about Luke 3, 7 through 8? Does this happen elsewhere in Scripture? Sure it does. Remember what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees? You're coming here offering repentance, but your repentance isn't genuine. Because you're not bearing any fruit. So what did John the Baptist tell him? Repent and bring forth the fruits of repentance. Evidence that you're saved. How about Romans chapter 9 verse 6? Remember that passage? Not all Israel is Israel. What does that mean? Just because you're in the fold doesn't mean you're of faith. So is there such a phenomena as people in the church that are not Christians? Sure. Jesus told another parable called the wheat and the tares. What did it say? It said wheat and tares grow up at the same time. Can hardly tell them apart. In fact, in many cases in that parable you can't tell them apart till judgment day. So yes, there's a phenomena. Perhaps the clearest passage of this is Matthew chapter 7. I want you to turn there. We have looked at this before. But it's good to bring it up again just to affirm that this, in fact, does happen. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. A powerful message given by Jesus to the Jews. And you all know what he said here. Enter in now. Here's his invitation. He's finished his sermon. Enter in at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go that way but narrow is the gate and hard is the way which leads to life and there are few that find it now the traditional way of interpreting this passage is to say that the wide road is the road of the world but there's a narrow road called Christianity and you better be on that road but my friends I'm here to say to you we've done this before I hope you remember that's not what this passage is saying when he says the wide road he's not talking about the way of the world all you have to do to see that's not what he's talking about is keep on reading verse 16 you will know them by their fruits every good tree verse 17 brings good fruit a bad tree brings bad fruit a good tree can't bring bad fruit neither can a bad tree bring forth good fruit every tree that brings not good fruit is cut down thrown into the fire hmm what happened in John fifteen six? no fruit cut down thrown in the fire hmm wherefore by their fruits you will know them well who are these people verse 21 watch this this is shocking not everyone who says to me Lord Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my father what name are they saying on this wide road Lord Lord whose name is that who are they talking to He says, many will say to me, so who's talking? Jesus. What is the name on their lips? Jesus. My friends, he's not talking about the the wide road being the road of the world. He's talking about the wide road being the road of professing Christendom. A road that's marked heaven that does not get there. Read on. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name done many wonderful works? But what does Jesus say to them? I profess unto them, I never knew you. My friends, I hope you see this. The truth of this is that there are not two roads, a wide road marked Christianity, excuse me, a wide road marked the world and a narrow road marked Christianity. There are in fact three roads a very narrow road called genuine Christianity that's marked heaven and gets there. But there is a wider road called the road of professing Christians who say, Lord, Lord, it's marked heaven, but it doesn't get there. These are false believers. That means that there's even a wider road marked the world, those who don't even mention the name Lord, Lord. In other words, what is this passage teaching us? There are very few people that really get into the kingdom. A very narrow road called life. And it's a hard road. Why? Because it is so very hard to deny yourself. It is so very hard to say, I can offer nothing to God of any value. I must humble myself and become a receiver instead of an achiever. The message of the cross stings the pride of man. So it is a very narrow road marked Christianity. There is a wide road marked Christianity that's not going to get there. False believers. Which means there's an even wider road of the world. Very few people that really get saved. But that's not the issue for us. The issue for us is to say... Is there such a thing as professing Christians who were never really connected who don't get to heaven? Is there such a thing? Obviously there is. We just saw it in Matthew chapter 7. So this then, view number two, must be the view of John 15, right? We've got these branches. They're connected. They, get, they only appeared to be connected and they get cut off. So it's view number two, right? No. I'm not ready to buy that because there's some cons against this view let's look at them again what is this passage talking about? John 15 we're not talking in John 15 about a seed taking root we're not talking about salvation what is the thrust of the passage? it's on becoming a fruit producing Christian it's not productive Christianity versus professing Christianity say that with me It's not productive Christianity versus professing Christianity. It's not productive... It is productive Christianity versus non-productive Christianity. It's about branches that are either bearing fruit or not bearing fruit. We're not talking salvation here. We're talking fruit. Secondly, who is Jesus addressing? He's addressing the eleven. And none of those eleven apostles was ever a branch that was cut off and thrown into the fire. You say, well, there's Judas... Well, my friends, if there is such a thing... Is that the thing he's addressing here, false believers? Wouldn't it have been better to have Judas there? (laughs) Then he could say, you twelve are the branches. But if you don't bear fruit, then you will be cut off and you will be set aside and burned. Now, that would have made sense then, because Judas would have been one of them. But Jesus waits until Judas is gone. Then he says to the eleven faithful... You are the branches and you must abide in me or you're going to get cut off and burned. Do you see that? It doesn't make sense to wait until Judas is gone. Because then he's talking about salvation. And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about fruit in the life of a Christian. Thirdly, we need another overhead. The meaning of the word minnow or abide. The word does not mean believe or faith faith is the normal word used in the New Testament if Jesus was talking about salvation wouldn't it have been better to say this if you don't pistuo believe in me if you don't continue to believe in me you're going to get cut off and burned that would have been the thing to say then he would have been talking about salvation but that's not what he does he says, if you menno, abide in me, stay intimately connected to me, then you'll bear fruit. But if you don't menno, stay intimately connected, then you're going to be cut off and burned. Do you see that? Stay put. Incidentally, the word first, in 1 John 3.24, when he says abide, guess what it's a synonym for? Obey. So if you abide, you obey. Do you see why we're not talking about Salvation. Let me ask you a question. Put it this way. If somebody came to us and said, what must I do to be saved? What's the answer? What? Believe Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Does he say, do we, is our answer obey him and then you'll be saved? No. That's why he used the word meno. Fourthly, when you and I look and try to understand some difficult passages when Jesus says something, listen, I know this is different today, but we've got to do this. We've got to correct the error. If we don't correct error, we're going to believe error. If we believe error, we're going to be bound. Does that make sense? When you and I look at tough passages, many, many times it's not enough just to look at what Jesus said. We also need to look at what He did not say. Does that make sense? Watch this. Jesus did not say, "Every branch that bears not fruit." That's not what He said. He said, "Every branch in me that bears not fruit. in me." What's that imply? Implies they were connected. We're not talking about people that just appeared to be connected. He says, "Every branch in me, every branch that's connected." and bears not fruit look at it further he's obviously not talking about false believers he did not say every branch that appears to be in me he did not say every branch that professes to be in me he said every branch in me that word is found 16 times in the gospel of John and every single time it implies intimate connection to him So we are obviously not talking about people that are false believers. We're not talking about people that just appeared to be connected. We're talking in this passage about people that are actually, intimately connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're talking about believers. Make sense? And this to me is the the catcher. He says to these branches, You are already clean. Can he say that to an unbeliever? No. So obviously he's not talking about people that are just professing Christians. Otherwise he would say to them, you think you're clean, but you're not. But he says to them, you are clean. You've put faith in me. You are connected to me. You are therefore saved. If you're clean, you're saved. And if you're saved, you can't be lost. And this one is the biggest one of all, right here. This parable occurs in the now say what do you mean by that when does the fruit bearing take place when is it supposed to take place right now we're supposed to abide and as we abide what happens in our lives fruit interesting when is the cutting off of the branches and when are they burned when in this parable when it happens right now it's either or You abide in me, Donnie, and you'll bear much fruit. He does not say, if you don't abide, one day in the future, you're going to get separated and burned. That's not what he's saying. He says, you abide right now and you bear fruit. If you don't abide right now, you're going to get cut off. You see that? Many people, when they come to this passage and say, he's talking about false believers, people that really weren't genuine... They are talking about judgment later. In fact, that's what the wheat and tares judgment is all about. What's going to happen in the end of the age? God is going to separate the wheat from the tares. He's going to separate the believers from the false believers. But when does that take place, my friends? Way in the future. Right now, Jesus himself said the wheat is growing up with the tares and you can't tell the difference. That scares me. Because it means there are people right here, week after week, sitting in this assembly, hearing the Word of God, that aren't saved. But we can't tell who they are. I wish we could. Because then I'd be on your doorstep every day, Craig, trying to make sure that you really are who you say you are. But we don't know. Because we've got such good flesh, we are created so fantastically, we can live out of the tree of good, and it looks just like the fruit of the Spirit. Can you be gentle, loving... I was going to use you, Bruce, but I figured out better... Can you be gentle, loving, and kind, Chester? And patient? Sure, and it can look just like the real thing. But it's plastic fruit. It's not real. Scary. But that's not what John 15 is saying. John 15 is saying, right now, if you don't bear fruit, it's cut off and separated. So this... Isn't talking about professed believers, my friends. So, what do we say then? We were given two views today. One was obviously he's talking about believers losing their salvation. But what did we say to that? No, it's an impossibility. A believer can't lose his salvation. Well, then obviously it must be this that they were false believers and they were removed. But that's not allowable in the passage. They're intimately connected people that Jesus says are clean. What are we going to do? Don't inquiring minds want to know? There must be a view three. And view three says they're believers. They are genuine believers. Well, then what does it mean that he's going to cut them off and separate them and burn them? If they're not going to lose their salvation, what's he talking about? Well, I'll tell you what, inquiring minds are going to have to come back next week. Gotcha. In fact, we won't even tape next week. We can't do it and do it adequately. We need the time. So we're going to stop here today. But before we do, early, huh? Isn't that exciting? It's on time. Get the behind me. We are going to appropriate this passage. Let me tell you something. I saw some people beforehand and they said, you know, this passage in John has just been so incredible these last four weeks and I hope you've sensed that and know that. It's the biggest tapes we've ever done. I mean, people are just getting those tapes like crazy and sharing them. And, and I felt the frustration today. I really did. I mean, this morning I've gone over it again and I said, Father, this is so anticlimactic. You know, we've had this wonderful truth of Jesus, the source of life, and, and the Father's pruning and, and and then abiding in Him and what that means and the fruit of Christ in our lives. And now we come and look at error. I mean, you know, it's like just a letdown. But you know what? It's a letdown that had to be there. Because we can't believe lies, my friend. If we believe lies, the bondage is coming. So we had to do this today. So I asked Father, I said, Well, Father, is there any positive that we can get out of this? And uh, this is what was brought to my heart. This is it right here the security that we have in Christ. To know that we're not going to lose our salvation. That's glory, isn't it? And the glory of not having to worry of a false profession, where maybe I'm not really what I think I am. But the Holy Spirit will minister assurance to us. And so I said, well, Father, what can we take with us? And I have to steal this from the brother I went to here last week in Denver. When I spoke at that conference, they had a the main speaker was Juan Carlos Ortiz. We've quoted him here many times. But he says, you know what it really is? And he used the illustration of a trapeze net. And he said the trapeze net really is an illustration of the blood of Christ and how awesome it, it means what the awesomeness of what it means to us. And in these two ways. He was talking to a trapeze wire guy and This is what he said to him. He said, if there was no net, we would be incredibly self-conscious up there on that high wire. Isn't that true? I mean, you'd be up on that wire going, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. And constantly, who would you be looking at? Yourself. He said, but knowing that net is there, it just brings such a tremendous sense of security. Isn't that the glorious message of the gospel? The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us once and for all, for all sin. We are secure. We are loved. We are accepted. We don't have to worry about falling and going splat. We can get our eyes off of ourselves. I might sin today. I might sin today. Uh Uh-oh, I might might fail. We're so busy looking at ourselves, we don't see Jesus. Isn't that exciting? What a glorious truth. But then the trapeze artist said this. Not only does it keep us from self-consciousness, it actually helps us improve. See, people say the eternal security of the believer makes us just wallow in, in mediocrity. I can go do whatever I want, and I'm forgiven. See, no, that's not what it does at all. It's a tremendous motivator. The trapeze artist said, "Since there's a net there and we know we're nover safe, man, we can bust out and try all kinds of neat things. But if that net weren't there, we'd never improve. We'd just rest in the simple things." See? The net makes you better. See? That's it. The net makes us better. I am loved. I am secure. I can go live like I'm loved and secure. Let me tell you something from the male point of view. Guys, when we were growing up in high school, junior high... You ever remember something like this happening? You went away for summer and you came back and all of a sudden there was this girl there and everybody, look at her, see? But she was always there in school before. Something happened. She got transformed all of a sudden. And you know what it was? She fell in love some guy loved her and